is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through! Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! For the fourth time, the United States of America are crown champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Who else has missed hearing that intro? Because I know I have. It has been over two months since we've been in studio talking footy. It's been a while since we even had an episode. We had scheduling issues for the longest time, and we took a break with the new year, but it is February of 2024, and we are talking the beautiful game, the world's game in the city of the world, New York City. I'm James Burley coming to you from the Bronx, Rose Hill Studios, on the Rose Hill campus at WFUV at Fordham University. It's a great day to be talking football. It's Friday. I am with two good friends, Gino Alva, and making his debut on the FUV FC Airwaves is Griffin Stevenson. It's been a long time coming. This guy knows footy. This guy knows ball. All three of us are going to be chopping it up, kicking it on this football we call Planet Earth and it's going to be a great time. I've got to shout out Ben Oppenheimer working behind the glass today. Super stoked to have him in here. I'm not sure if he's the biggest soccer fan, but he's going to be for the next hour or so. With that said, Gino, I'm going to throw it to you first. How are you doing, my friend? Welcome back to FUVFC. It's been a while. It's been a it's while. Too a couple long. months. It's finally New Year's 2024. Next thing you know, it's the World Cup here. I'm so glad to yeah. be back. A lot's happened. We're talking about continental tournaments, talking about the clubs. So much going on. Inter-Miami losing to Al-Nassar yesterday. <laughs> Six searches got to shout that out there. But, yeah, it's been an insane, insane couple of months, and I can't wait to get back into the show and talk about it. Griffin, my man, your first time on the show. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. It is so good to be here, kind of watching from the sidelines, through the glass, if you will, waiting to get in here. And just like you guys, I've missed FEVFC, but I've kind of missed football as a whole. Mm, International yeah. break, month of January, not yep. much to watch. Mm-hmm. And we're getting to the point where we kind of – Roll back into the swing of things, so I couldn't be more excited. We're finally getting some exciting football. Yeah, And we're getting exciting international football, too. We had the international break. The U.S. played. It wasn't the full squad. They didn't play well. They lost, and we don't have to talk about that. What we will talk about is a big match that actually happened today in the Asian Cup, as well as what's also going on today. There's going to be Nigeria and Angola playing in the AFCON, but let's start with Asia. Australia up 1-0. For the longest time to Korea, they lose to South Korea. Jurgen Klinsmann's South Korea, I might add. A red card in extra time and a couple timely goals from Hwang Hee Chan and Hyun Son that give the South Korea the chance to advance to the semifinals of the Asian Cup. We're going to give a quick breakdown of how we got here. Six groups, Qatar, the reigning champions, and the hosts, top group A with ease. Tajikistan sneaking through in second over China. Group B, Australia gets through. Uzbekistan ahead of Syria, but Syria still through on third place play uh syria with actually a pretty underrated team with some solid players that play in the saudi league iran breezing through group c uae and palestine who have been a bit of a surprise in the tournament um a lot of outpouring of support for them and their people for what they're going through to have advanced through to the groups out of the group stage into the knockout round iraq beating japan and topping group d japan snuck through as well as indonesia a football mad country that Really has never been that good on the international stage, but their people love the beautiful game. And then I would say the biggest surprise of the tournament in Group E, Bahrain, topping the group over South Korea despite losing to them in their first match. Jordan also sneaking through through Group E in third place, and they're still alive in this tournament based on how the knockout draw has gone. Saudi Arabia breezing through Group F with one draw. Thailand also getting out. If we look at the knockout round, though, Tajikistan, a very favorable draw in the first match to UAE. That that whole portion of the bracket is uh, very, very friendly. Iraq and Jordan. Jordan got through and then passed Tajikistan. They're in the semifinals. Will they play South Korea, who had to beat both Saudi Arabia and Australia to get there? It doesn't seem exactly fair, but that's just the way this sport goes. Iran took care of Syria in penalties. They're going to play Japan 
in the quarterfinals tomorrow. Qatar will play Uzbekistan in the quarterfinals tomorrow after defeating Palestine earlier in the week. I think we're going to see a cracker of a game with Iran and Japan, just like we saw with Australia and South Korea. And I think Qatar will probably make easy work of Uzbekistan in their home country. The defending champs, Akram Afif, has got several goals in this tournament. Almoaz Ali, his blistering pace up front, has been very helpful to the Qataris as well. I think we're going to see a final four of Jordan and South Korea. Jordan, the fact that they're there is absolutely inspirational, although they've had quite the easy path to get there. Iran, Japan is going to be a tough one. And I think Qatar, I think we're going to see Iran, Japan is a toss-up. I'm going to go with Japan just because I think they have the pedigree and they looked really good at the last World Cup, and that sort of experience is going to help them down the line. I think a Final Four of Jordan, South Korea, Japan, Qatar is really exciting for the region, one that FIFA is trying to harness as a, a region, a footballing powerhouse of the future. Uh, any thoughts you guys have? Gina, I'll go to you first on the Asian Cup so far. You know, Japan are the, you know, historically favorite you know country in mm -hmm. the asian cup yep. they have won the tournament four times you know they came up short last time when they faced against qatar qatar are the uh, reigning champions you know i've always been the long supporter for japan and korea because whenever those two countries played in the world cup they've done amazing things they do they are inspiring japan teams. especially you know going against you know germany going against colombia you know doing these upsets amazing to watch uh, Korea also doing that to Japan in, mm -hmm. the, in, the, in you know the last World Cup, but I would from what I saw in a couple of minutes ago when I was when I was watching the uh, the South Korea versus Australia game, you know South Korea hasn't been the best team in this tournament. They've been you know in the last couple of minutes trying to do all their chances to get the goal. They've been having if you look at the record right now, you know they've been having a lot of late minute goals, penalties. Um, obviously, it's it's amazing to see those type of late goals, but you know for a team you would want to have goals early on in the game. So to see South Korea going against a very good Australian team, mm -hmm. you know, Australia in the last couple of years have been really good. Uh, you know, they won a, a intercontinental playoff to get to the World Cup. They played really good in the World Cup and they played really good in this tournament. Um, I would say South Korea with their chances today, especially with uh, Huming Sun, with that amazing free kick goal to obviously win the game for them. Mm -hmm. Now they're in the semifinals against Jordan. I would say South Korea has very a very good chance to make the final. Uh, Absolutely. But, but with that being said. Qatar versus Uzbekistan. You know, Uzbekistan has also been a surprise in this tournament. Mm -hmm. They've been really good. Um, Qatar, obviously, the reigning champions. Um, I would say Qatar. We'll probably see Qatar versus Japan in the semifinals, mm -hmm. but I can't predict what's going to happen in that match because I think anything can happen. Can't count out Iran. There's all really team. can't. Yeah, Iran and Iran in 2018, a last minute goal too, mm -hmm. and that was amazing to see. Uh, but yeah, I would say this Asian Cup has been very good. You know, unfortunately, we, the time zone for us, you know, it would be like 6.30 a.m. games, so we couldn't see <laughs> all those heavy games. But um, this AFC Asian Cup has been really good. And, you know, I can't wait to see what uh, Jurgen Klinsmann South Korea does uh, in the semifinals. Uh, yeah, I agree with you there. I think definitely could see Japan and Qatar meeting up in the next round semifinal. And I I do think Japan wins that game. I would really like to see a South Korea-Japan final. I think that'd be very good for the yeah, sport. Awesome. Yeah, very good. Both of those regions, because I'm going to be honest, I kind of want Australia to make it through because mm -hmm. that's a country that is fully getting on the football bandwagon. I mean, we saw with the Women's World Cup yeah. last year. Sam Kerr is an absolute ambassador for this game. Oh, yeah. I mean, and also they just have some of the best fans I've seen. They bring Socceroos. the passion 100%, 100% of the time. And I do think seeing the likes of, you know, some Premier League guys, you got Hyungmin Son, you got uh, Kairu Matoma. Mm -hmm. And then I actually think that this year Japan is might be able to pull it out because I think their team is just super energetic and quick. You got likes of Kubo and then you have Endo in the midfield. Yeah. A lot of guys with really high level experience playing in the top flights of Europe. And it's a mix between age and youth, too, because Maya Yoshida is still this team's captain. Meanwhile, you've got young players bringing in with a lot of European experience, such as Kubo, like you mentioned. Exactly. And I think we know they can get it done in the attacking side of the ball. But I think in order to win the tournament, they will have to focus a little more on the defensive mm -hmm. side. Because, like you said, Iran's not going to be easy. They have guys like Tarimi who know how to score goals. Yeah. And then if you... Jahan Bakshi. Yeah. If you end up facing a South Korea, it's going to come at you because... Hyun Son has been absolutely electric this season. Mm -hmm. The only thing I would say is we were watching this game right before this. Some of the decision-making in the South Korean final third could be improved. And I think that's what's going to win teams this tournament is going to be the decision-making and those clutch moments, the ability to 
maybe slot that calm final pass into the middle for a nice finish. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the bullishness for South Korea to make the final makes sense given that they're up against Jordan and that they had to get by Saudi Arabia and Australia. I'm glad we talked about Australia. You know, they're making a lot of strides to becoming a proper footballing nation. They are implementing uh, promotion and relegation at their club ranks, which is something we don't even have in the U.S., mm-hmm. and we like to consider ourselves making the steps to getting there as a proper footballing nation as well. Uh, as for South Korea, though, Jurgen Klinsmann, not exactly popular after drawing a couple games in the group stage, but then you beat two heavyweights of the region in the Saudis and the Socceroos, and I think that you build up a lot of confidence in that. Uh, Japan, of course, on paper, they're the toughest team in this region, but I think maybe the second or third toughest team is Iran. So that one could go either way. To have the to be in the Arab world for Iran is going to help them surely. To be at home for Qatar, you expect them to get by Uzbekistan. And then they're going to be in Doha in the capital city for the semifinal should they get there. They're going to be a tough team to beat too. Uh, I, I really uh, think that the final four uh, is going to heat up and this is going to be something we have to keep our eye on. Hopefully next week we get to talk a little bit more about it. Let's switch gears. We talked AFC. Let's talk CAF. Let's go over to Africa. And this, this has been... The Africa Cup of Nations is is arguably the best international tournament in the world. You get pure entertainment. It's you get like the uh, you get a Copa Libertadores level of entertainment to international football, and I love international football, guys. But sometimes in our little corner of the world, the Concacaf Gold Cup or the Concacaf <laughs> Nations League just doesn't quite have that allure, doesn't quite have that passion, and I and quite frankly, the football here is just better. In Group B, you have Ghana out. That's a team that was at the last World Cup and almost got to the knockouts, if not for some good football from South Korea. And Group A, you've got Nigeria and the Ivory Coast, who are the host nation, who've only just barely made it out of the group stage, finishing below Equatorial Guinea. An afterthought in the world of football. You've got Guinea sneaking through in a group with Senegal and Cameroon, picking up a win and a draw. Who saw that coming? Angola finishing ahead of Burkina Faso. And in last place in Group D, behind Mauritania, Burkina Faso and Angola is Algeria, a footballing powerhouse. Tunisia, bottom of Group E. Mali topping the group with South Africa and Namibia. Morocco and DR Congo, as you would expect, get out of Group F. And then the ranking of third-place teams give Guinea, Namibia, Mauritania, and the hosts, Ivory Coast, by the skin of their teeth, which it really shouldn't be allowed because they have minus three goal differential, but they get through on three points. And now we are in the quarterfinals. Uh, Some big heavyweights out early. Morocco. Final four of the World Cup, out in the round of 16 to South Africa. Senegal, round of 16 at the last World Cup, out on penalties to the host nation Ivory Coast. Egypt, who were at the 2018 World Cup and lost on penalties to make it to the 2022 World Cup, lost on penalties to the DR Congo, they're out. And the team who topped Group A against all the odds, Equatorial Guinea, lose to regular Guinea (laughs) 1-0. So if we look at the quarterfinals... There are some teams that we would normally expect to be there. Nigeria is there. South Africa, maybe you expect there some odd years ago. Ivory Coast is there some odd years ago. You'd consider them. But, like, Senegal's not there. Egypt's not there. Morocco's not there. Tunisia's not there. There are so many big heavyweights. Cameroon knocked out in the round of 16 to Nigeria. That's a tough draw for them. I think now that we've got the teams like Nigeria and the Ivory Coast on opposite sides of the bracket, I think you could pencil in who the expected final is. But I don't know, guys. This tournament is full of surprises. We're going to have Nigeria-Angola today, uh, Guinea and the DR Congo today, and then tomorrow Mali-Ivory Coast, Cape Verde against South Africa. Cape Verde, a tough team, by the way, a former Portuguese um, colony. They have a lot of Portuguese influence in their roster, and they use it very, very well. Jamiro Montero, if you guys know MLS, formerly of the Philadelphia Union and San Jose Earthquakes, uh, is a big part of that team as well. So I, I think that... This is going to be Nigeria's tournament to win as it looks right now, but I would never put a stamp of approval on anything in the AFCON. You know, I haven't seen much of the AFCON matches, but going on Twitter and seeing these little highlights, it's been probably the most entertaining AFCON, and I kind of regret not watching most of the matches. Mm -hmm. But one thing that pops out for me was definitely the Morocco versus South Africa match. You're talking about Morocco who made the... World Cup semifinal, an African team making the semifinal and falling off short. But also, you know, they are the best African country in the last couple of years. But, you know, seeing South Africa, you know, South Africa is a very, uh, you know, important team for football fans knowing of the 2010 World Cup, gold for Africa, gold for all Africa. It's such an amazing uh, 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 
a tournament so far. But, you know, I, I would have to say I, I love this, you know, uh, these underdog teams, make it Angola and, all, you know, all the others. And hopefully the DR Congo and Capoeira could, you know, come up on top and get to the semifinals. But it's been an insane month of January that uh, anything could happen in, in this tournament. So, you know, I, I agree with you, James. I think Nigeria are the powerhouse. They have been for the longest time. You know, uh, they can probably do you know, they can probably get to the final and probably win all of it. But yeah, it's been in a very insane uh, AFCON uh, tournament. And, you know, I just can't wait to see, you know, who comes on top. Like you guys said, it's Nigeria's tournament to lose. The Super Eagles, best cool. name, best international team name, best, by far. Best, best name. kits, easily. Yeah. Tw- oh, yeah. easily. The 2018 Nigeria kit goes down as probably top five kits of all oh, time. Oh, yeah. I can just envision Musa running down the pitch <laughs> in that thing. But you said Nigeria. Uh, doing well not to lose, but a team that's doing well not to lose or win, the team that personally I'm rooting for is the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yeah. They have yeah. drawn every single <laughs> one of their games in regular in regular time, and they knock out in the in the round of 16 Egypt. Probably to one, one of the, the casual teams. fan, a team you would look at and be like, they will win the tournament. Mo Salah injured for the match, though. You know that is true. That is true. But that team is still light years ahead oh. of where DR Congo is. You know, it's funny you say that, Griffin, because DR Congo has tied all their group matches, but Portugal also tied all their matches in the 2016 Euro. Euros, and got and to at, the final and yep. it got the championship. So, like, from what you said, anything could happen in the tournament. Anything could happen, but uh, shout out to DR Congo. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, sometimes not about knowing how to win. It's about uh, not knowing how to lose, which is, which is all you got to do. And, I mean, it's gotten them this far, and actually... Nigeria yeah, the, just the score another update. goal. Vic, yep. Victor Osiman with a 75th minute adds to Adamola Lookman, who's got to go. Like that front, that front line for Nigeria is scary for the entirety of this continent. I feel like you've still got the captain Ahmed Musa, who's you know far removed from his days of playing at the top level in the Premier League. But Victor Osiman's one of the best, you know, forwards. I would say one of the best forwards in, in, in Europe, really. Uh, certainly probably the best in Italy, yeah. I would have to say. And then you've got Samuel Chukwueze playing off the left of him, Lookman on the other side, and then Kaleki and Ahancho off the bench. That, that's 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 frightening. Not to mention Joe Aribo, Alex Iwobi, Simon in the middle. Like This is a team that really has pieces that can hurt you all over. The Ivory Coast playing at home, captained by Serge Aurier. They don't have quite as, as I would say, as dangerous pieces, but they certainly have pieces that can hurt you and when they're playing at home you know that, that that sort of thing especially in this region it is is so so valuable frank kessier and, and sangare and dumbia are all players in the middle that you can rely on to to give you uh, a chance to win any match that you play against any team and you know they have foundations in defense too that i think are going to be very 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 um helpful in their quests to reach the final i still think it's going to be nigeria and the ivory coast which you know culturally those are two countries that are pretty close to each other in the west of africa and that's a rivalry match that i'm really looking forward to hopefully that is the final and we'll we'll, we'll again we're going to keep our eye on all these competitions we're still in the quarterfinals in each of them and we're only a couple weeks away from finding out who are the tournament champions there, there is a bit of a discussion to be made i know liverpool fans especially upset with mo Salah getting injured at the African Cup of Nations. Jurgen Klopp has, has, has voiced his opinion on this before, and we're going to talk about Jurgen Klopp for, for a little bit later, but I think we're going to swift our... Uh, sorry, we're going to shift our attention to Europe, whose season, yes, in a way, is being disrupted by the African Cup of Nations and by the Asian Cup, but I think some of these teams can, can handle the punches better than others. One team that's certainly handling the punches pretty decently, although drawing in their previous match, is Paris Saint-Germain. A red card against Brest, who are having a surprise of a season in France. PSG still firmly in first. We expect them to finish there. But as far as a Champions League race goes, and as far as a relegation race goes, Ligue 1 has been very exciting. It's been very interesting. It's changed our outlook on France. Marseille in seventh. On the outside looking into European football. Lille hanging by the thread of their th- uh, the skin of their teeth. Rem right behind them. Monaco in that little... Uh, in that little... Do they are they in or are they not fourth place position? Nice firmly in second place and Brest in third. Only a few handful of points to pick between those two. Marseille maybe still in with a shout, but then you look at the bottom of the table and Lyon are in the relegation zone. They're going to be in a, a qualifier for relegation if they stay there. I, I think that this has been one of the more interesting seasons in France in a long while, even though the title race is going about how we expected it to. 
Um, there's going to be some interesting stuff down the line. And this Lyon team especially still has some pretty big pieces that they can rely on that you'd think would be at least middle of the pack in France. Uh, as it stands right now, though, they could be going down at season's end. Uh, Griffin, I'll throw this one to you first. Where do you want to start in France? We're only going to spend a couple minutes in each of the top five leagues, but I think it's worth noticing Nice doing really well, Brest, the surprise of the season, and then Lyon at the bottom. Uh, What's surprised you the most, would you say? Definitely that Brest team, they are already midway through the season, only 11 points behind where they finished last season. They finished in 14th, and I don't really follow Liga that much, (laughs) and I can't say if I did that I would follow this Brest team back in the, <laughs> back then. So I don't really know what changes in particular they are making, but it is clearly working because you don't just make that shift like that. It, there's got to be something behind the club that has run them well or somebody in that position. And it's really exciting to see because I feel like in some of these lower Power 5 leagues, if you will, the reason why they're lower is because there's not a lot of new teams coming up and making competition. I think that's what needs to be done for football in France, at least, mm-hmm. to gain a wider audience. And it would be really cool to see that team, you know, make the Champions League. I think that'd be really cool. They deserve some nice uh, away days in Europe. Yeah. yeah, I was just, it's it's an entirely almost French roster as well, mm-hmm. which is, you know, increasingly rare in this day and age of football because it's such a global game and now all these teams have global scouting networks. Um, for Brest to have been in this conversation with the likes of PSG, we sort of think of Ligue 1 as a league that you know is run by just one team and one team only. And in many ways, that's fair. It's true. Because um, PSG, you know, with the exception of Lille sneaking in a title once uh, in a blue moon there and many, many years ago, Monaco as well, it's been PSG's league to lose. They just have more money than everyone else. They run it up. Um, with that said, though, They've sort of kind of taken the buck from Serie A in that they're the emotional league of the top five. There are more red cards and more crazy challenges in Ligue 1 than there are in any area of Europe at the top uh, first division level, I would say. And maybe not quite the level of the championship in England, but that's not top flight football. This is, and I think that makes for for some, I would say, emotional football, which can can make it more fun. I I think watching a Ligue 1 match, it's not, it's not the Premier League, but it is certainly emotional. And... I think that's a good segue to get into Italy, who are an emotional people. I can speak on the half of my family that are Italian. We're an emotional bunch. And I will talk first about perhaps the biggest team in Italy is Juventus, who drew to Empoli, who are in a relegation battle of their own uh, in, in Serie A. 1-1, Milik got a red card in the first half, and that really plagued Juve's chances. And it was a big chance because they're one point behind Inter. They played one more game than Inter Milan. And the old lady now are a point back when they could have been two points ahead. I think that's uh, two points lost for Juventus. Gino, I'll throw that to you. Um, now this title race, this one's going to go down to the wire. And I think Serie A has been sort of you know the, the league that we look to to have a title race now for some years. Ever since Juve sort of fell off, I would say, around the pandemic, it's not been... Juve, Juve was once the PSG, the Bayern Munich of Serie A. That's not the case anymore. I think that's absolutely for the better I think AC Milan not quite the powerhouse they were 15 years ago but they're now once again in the conversation in Roma who have just moved on from Jose Mourinho are now working their way back into a conversation to play in Europe uh, I, I think that Juventus though really shot themselves in the foot this week you know us fans when we're watching Juventus played in the city for these last 10 years winning every year and now seeing how Juventus are winning, you know, the Serie A these last couple of years. It's hard to win a league to play every week and to actually go out, score goals, and win it. So we're finally seeing, you know, that little decline of, you know, any, every team got it. My biggest surprise, obviously, so far halfway in the season is Napoli, obviously being the champions, haven't haven't won it in, you know, 40, 30 something mm-hmm. years. Uh, it they just haven't been really good. They haven't been dominating really good. Um, Cavaraschelli and Oshiman and obviously, um, uh. I'm blinking on his name. I'm blinking on his name. The goalkeeper for Man U. Uh, what's his name for the goalkeeper of Man U? Uh, this year. This year. Uh, Onana. Onana. <laughs> Onana was really good last year with Napoli, and <laughs> we're just blanking on his name. Uh, you know, it's very even a big surprise for Napoli uh, to to see them dominating like that. But you know, now nowadays, yes, Inter, you know, has been, you know, they've made the Champions League final last year. They know what it is to, to you know get there. Yeah, it's. Juventus have been through a lot of things, a lot of 
your managerial changes, players, obviously with that, you know, little scandal. Financial scandals. Financial scandals, <laughs> their points getting deducted and all that. It's been a, yeah, it's been a crazy Serie A. I, I think Juventus is going to pick it back up. I think they have a good chance to probably win the Serie A, but if Inter, you know, Milan is uh, continuing to play how they play, you know, they been on, they play Juventus next, so it is going to be a very exciting match to see who takes over first place, but, you know, Inter does have a game in hand, so, you know, we got to see what happens there. Uh, but, you know, I, I do want to shout out Fiorentina. You know, we haven't mm-hmm. seen Fiorentina in a long-ass time in, in, a, in a very big top um, top four uh, European spot. But, you know, I just can't wait to see what happens. Two points out. Two points out. And Atalanta with a big 2-0 win over Udinese, who are also, you know, one of those teams that taxi between Serie B and Serie A ever since the days of Antonio Di Natale. They've been really, really a struggle. They, they're towards the bottom. They're going to be fighting with Cagliari to stay out of the relegation zone. I will point out real quick before I throw it over to you, Griffin. Only conceding 10 goals through 21 matches is Inter, and only conceding 13 goals through 22 matches is Juventus. That's a great defensive record for both of those teams. But Inter have scored 50 goals to Juve's 36. And then I look below them, and Milan have scored 43, which in 22 matches, that's a very good scoring record. But they've conceded 25, and I think it's the defensive play of Inter and Juventus who are kind of upholding the old Italian standard of defense-first philosophy football that you're not seeing in the rest of Italy because there's been that cultural shift in the game in that region over the past 10-15 years, I would say. Meanwhile, Milan are scoring loads of goals they're conceding. Christian Pulisic and Chuhueze, a big part of that up front. Uh, Juventus getting a lot of really good football from Weston McKenney, so you got to shout out the Americans. Tim Weah has been good off the bench as a winger and good when he starts as a wingback, but I don't love him in that role, if I must say. <laughs> uh, to be fair to Inter, they are firmly the best team in this region right now. They're playing that way. They've got a goal differential of 40 in 21 matches. That's just past halfway through the season. Uh, I think, Griffin, it, it'd be tough to say that they're not the favorites, especially when Juve blew up a big, big chance to, to cover some ground. Well, I definitely think being first in Serie A is something that happens when you have definitely the best midfielder in the country and mm. Nicolo Beretta. And me and my friends always talk about him. It, he's one of those players where, I mean, you watch him over the Champions League uh, run last year, and he's kind of everywhere mm-hmm. when you watch him, defensively uh, in the attacking side of play too. And I think... That those are the type of players that you really need, like you said, to maintain mm-hmm. a high standard of defensive play because it allows their defenders, uh, like DeVry and stuff like that, to maintain their line if they can trust the people ahead of them. And I think that's very, very important. And then, like you said, Juventus, I think ever since Ronaldo left, they've kind of been missing that player up yeah. front. I mean, they have, yeah. Lehovi- they have Lehovic, but it's nowhere near the numbers that someone like Cristiano Ronaldo would be putting up in a season. And... I do think they are going to be competitive because I think a lot of people forget about them last year is Chiesa went from an amazing year in 2021 to a okay last two years, I feel like. and There's an injury involved yeah, in yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. and I've, I've really seen him in particular come back into form. And then, like you said before the podcast, uh, Weston McKinney's also been playing pretty well in the midfield. So I think in order for them to stay competitive, like you said, they definitely have to iron out um, those – I guess attacking issues for them. They gotta you gotta score. You yeah. gotta score to win games. That's mm-hmm. just a simple fact. I think that's the issue. I think they they control matches and they don't see them out, and that's gonna be their Achilles heel in terms of a title race. They'll be firmly in the Champions League, but Inter are that much uh I would say that one level ahead of them. I'm glad you pointed out the midfield and Barela, who I think the the comparison is so obvious to make to Marco Verratti in terms of the style of play and the stature he has within a team. He is the engine of that midfield. I want to shout out Hakan Çalanoğlu, the Turkish legend who mm-hmm. for the longest time was a winger and attacking midfielder who was known for his playmaking ability, his ability to run off the ball. He's transformed in his in it like he was kind of a useless player for several years where he would taxi between teams and not have a role and has established himself as arguably the best holding midfielder in Italy in a league that is chock full of very talented holding midfielders and always has been. So I want to give a shout out to him. And I think Inter are in the driver's seat as it as it goes for the Serie A title. I think we also have to mention Lautaro Martinez having yeah. the season of his the life. Se- he yeah. is he, and he is a baller. clear. Top yeah. goal scorer, 19 goals. I think he's having 
the, the yeah. season of his life. They're scoring 50 goals through 21 yeah. games. That's a special, special record. And I, I think it's we'll leave Italy on a positive with how good Inter's been. I know, I'm sorry, my, my, my grandfather, my no-no, is a massive Napoli fan. He hates Inter to death. But uh, he had a, enough fun last year he with his Scudetto, brother. Yeah, glory. So I think that that's, that'll wrap it up for Serie A. Let's move over to Germany. Let's talk Bundesliga for a brief, brief minute. And you look at the top of the table. And it says Bayer is the first five letters, but after that it does not say Munich, it says Leverkusen. And that is a surprise to a lot of people for a lot of reasons. Undefeated through 19 matches. That's that's beyond the halfway point of the season now. Leverkusen are at the top with 49 points and a goal differential of 36, which just sounds like a Bayern Munich record, but it's not. They're two points ahead of Bayern, and they've got, I would say, a favorable matchup this week with Darmstadt, and then Bayern have to go and play Mönchengladbach, who are not having a great season, I must say. Darmstadt are in last, and Mönchengladbach's in 12th. Bayern should expect to get points at home. Leverkusen on the road to Darmstadt. That's a great away match to get three points. This is a six-pointer for Bayern, though. Make no mistake about it, because Mönchengladbach did beat them in league play last year and always has a tough game against them, but like they poached their goalkeeper, Jan Sommer, and classic Bayern Bundesliga tactics we just buy up the best players in our own league to win I I think that we're going to see a repeat of last year Bayern maybe for a long time are chasing one team but they're going to catch up whether it happens late whether it happens soon this is Bayern's league to win it always is so I think it's better served we look at the Champions League discussion Stuttgart have been a bit of a surprise sliding in at third but only a point ahead of Dortmund I think Unfortunately, Stuttgart are probably going to fall out of favor when Leipzig figures out what's going on. They've lost three of their last five matches, but I still think that on paper, they are a spectacle of a team. They did just lose one of their longest-serving playmakers in Emil Forsberg to uh, the jewel of Red Bulls football and global network to the New York Red Bulls. Uh, With that said, I think Leipzig and Dortmund overtake Stuttgart, and I think Bayern Munich overtakes Leverkusen. That match between those two sides several weeks away I love what Bayer Leverkusen are doing. I think Xabi Alonso, as manager, has really put himself in the discussion as one of like the best young managers in the game. And, and, and I mean, how would you expect any different? He was such a cerebral player. He's such a guy who could control things without even mastermind. affecting them. You know, he would be He's 20 yards away from the play, and, his, and you, would, you would still feel his influence in the game. So, uh, Gino, I'll go to you first again on this one. Do you am am I would it be foolish to say that Leverkusen could see out this title race or is Bayern just the inevitable? I I I, I default yeah. to Bayern being the inevitable. If you just inevitable. look at, I think ever since Harry Kane stepped foot in the Bundesliga, he's brought his Harry Kane-ness into this league, <laughs> and they won't win the title. And they won't win the title, <laughs> and he will never win a trophy. <laughs> but if you just look at Leverkusen stats, they're ranked second in goals scored per match. They have kept the most clean sheets of the competition, and the most important stat of all, they haven't lost a game yet. Yeah. That's insane. We haven't seen an invincible since 2004 in the best and best league in the world. Xabi Alonso coming into this team, everybody thought, you know, he's a great player, played all those years in Europe, won a Champions League, you know, played in the Premier League in a really tough time with Liverpool. Mastermind of a of a guy, him going into Leverkusen was like, you know, let's see what he does there, a small team in, in Germany obviously being the powerhouse Bayern and Borussia Dortmund. He has turned this league around. He has turned this team around. He's going He's on the way to go to the Champions League with Leverkusen next season. I would say whenever you're hot, you're hot. I feel like they are going to win you know, the Bundesliga. Wow. And I think you know, it's January, and the league started back in August. Mm-hmm. They've been going still. You know, there's still a couple of months left you know, until the season ends. And I think, I think finally we get to see you know, a non-Bayern Munich team win the Bundesliga. And you know, uh, just shout-out to Xabi Alonso because I think he deserves all the mm-hmm. awards. Um, obviously, you know, with the reports of Jurgen Klopp leaving Liverpool and Xabi Alonso being a Liverpool player and being there in 2005 yeah, it, and being there I in think 2007. the writing might be on the wall there. The script is there, and he could take that managerial position because he was also linked with Real Madrid when Carlo Ancelotti didn't sign mm-hmm. the renewal. You know, there's a lot of thoughts to say about it, but yes, I think Leverkusen does have the biggest and I think ha- will have the chance to win the Bundesliga. You're adding Harry Kane to Bayern Munich. You're not going to win a trophy. But, you know, you can never say never. You know, yeah. sometimes in, you know, in, in football, you know, there could be a slip up. And I just think Leverkusen definitely wins the Bundesliga. 
Well, if there is someone that knows how to slip up, it's someone that used to play for Liverpool. So we'll, <laughs> that get, that, we'll, we'll get that out of the way. <laughs> that is true. But, I mean, you look at this Bayern Leverkusen team. They have Quality. Florian Wirtz, future, future of German football. Mm-hmm. You have debatably the best right wing back in Fring Europe. Pong. Fring Pong, amazing. You have a stud at center back in Edmund Tapsoba. And then you have a guy who can score goals. You have Boniface. And then a guy who I think gets memed on a little bit, but is a decent role player in that midfield. Granit Xhaka. Granit Xhaka. And then Class. even Patrick Schick, it was, what, two years ago when he was lighting up the Euros? Smashing in goals for the Amazing Euros. Amazing in the Euros, From yeah. anywhere. Um, so I think, especially when you combine all that talent with a manager who it seems, well, he literally is unbeatable this season in the Bundesliga. What? That is something that I think a team like Bayern, who is kind of used to being in this mm-hmm. position where they're the juggernauts of Germany and Granted, they still could be, but I think they're going to struggle against a team that it almost seems like yeah. they're destined to win this year. And to think that Timothy Fonsimento was playing for Man U a couple years ago and for yeah, him to be sent over there thinking, hey, that's not going to happen. And look, he can't get off the bench. He can't get off the bench. He can't get off the bench because Leverkusen are nice. It's insane. It's insane yeah. what's happening. I, I, a shout out to like a global influence on this Leverkusen team as well. I mean, so many stars currently playing in the African Cup of Nations. Kasonu, the center back for Ivory Coast, who's absolutely risen on the scene so quickly. He's still young. Um, Tapsoba, stud like you mentioned. You mentioned Bonifacio, who's scoring like crazy. Uh, Nicotella as well uh, is playing in, in Nigeria. And they've got uh, Piero Incapié, who's one of the better young center backs at the World Cup for Ecuador, who's coming. And then on loan, who's currently playing in Roma, Sardar Azmoun, the Iranian striker, who has uh, long uh, been one of the better players in the Russian Super League before coming into the Bundesliga and now Serie A. I think the Bundesliga title races. It's been a, a a surprise the last few seasons. It could end like last season. It could end exactly like last season with Musiala scoring at the last second Correct. to sink the hearts of Leverkusen, uh, just like he did to Dortmund last year. Um, I will. There is an there was once a very big American influence in the Bundesliga, and we don't feel that so much lately. I think Alfonso Davies was having a very tough time this season, both mentally and on the pitch. He scored in their most recent match. If I look at Union Berlin. I'm thinking Brendan Aronson, and I'm thinking where where is the impact? And we, we're not quite feeling it yet, um, but we will keep our eye on the Bundesliga moving forward because that title race is heating up. Another title race that we didn't even expect to have is going on in Spain. Girona, only until last week, were in first for the longest time, and now Real Madrid have leapfrogged them, and they are even on matches. Uh, a very, very uh, enticing matchup. Uh, yesterday between Real Madrid and Hetafe for, oh, for for several reasons. Not only because Real Madrid did come out on top against you know a solid mid-table team in Hetafe on the road and to claim the top spot in the league, but there was also some flair between two English internationals. Yes, um, the disgraced Mason Greenwood and the l- Power. rising one of the best young midfielders in the world, arguably the best midfielder in the world. Let's let's put it out there, Jude Bellingham, um, referring to some. Uh, Legal charges, legal trouble that uh, Mason Greedwood rightfully went through, and after a challenge between the two of them, he uttered a word. I mean, it's a content warning for some of the sexual assault that Mason Greenwood was accused of. Uh, there was a quip from Jude Bellingham uh, towards him that referred to that that now Hatafe are investigating into, which I'm not sure if much of an investigation What's, is warranted. Yes, I um, think the Spain Federation yeah. is hiring a lip reader to actually see what. Jude Bellingham. Said. I mean, I read his lips. He I said just it. want John. I just want John Boy just John like Boy just to take a look. Take a look at it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I you know I'm I'm all for Jude Bellingham saying that. Getting Mason Greenwood's girl. That guy is awful. He has no business playing anywhere in the top five leagues in Europe. Send him like all the NHL players. <laughs> send who, him. Send send him like all the NHL players who have done something wrong. Send them to Russia so we can forget about them. Uh, I I I I think that. I'm I'm happy Jude Bellingham did that. That's that's football aside. Let's get back to the football. Um, Atletico Madrid surging lately. A big win over Rayo Vallecano. Who it, it looked cagey for a minute there, but they came away with a victory. A big big three points after they took care of Sevilla in uh, the Copa del Rey. And Sevilla are the surprise of this season. If Girona aren't, it's Sevilla. You know, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona comprising the top four is never going to surprise you, no matter what order it comes in, maybe if Atletico are top. Uh, Hirona being within that four is surprising. 
But seeing Sevilla on 17 points all the way down in 16th, just one point clear of the relegation zone, um, just a couple seasons removed from being in that conversation, I would say, as one of the best teams in Spain, arguably to the level of Atletico Madrid, and now they are uh, certainly on the other end of that. Uh, that's what I want to talk I think that's that's better used. Could we see Sevilla dropping down to the second division in Spain? I, I don't know if that's something I would have written, but based on the way that they've been playing this year, they can't defend for their lives. And they have probably one of the most historical best defenders in the last yeah. 15 years, they, and they can't The only anything. teams that have conceded more goals than them this year are Villarreal, Granada, and Almeria. And that puts them right there in the discussion for going down. Uh, I, I never would have thought that years ago, but this is becoming a reality. Griffin? Well, they just brought someone in in January who I think the three of us should know very well. <laughs> someone who I've seen play in person who might be able to help them, but and that man, of course, is Hannibal Mabry. However, apparently, Sevilla doesn't want to play Mabry because they said he's not training well enough, which is surprising to me. I don't know why you would bring someone in on loan that you don't. It's the story of Sevilla. Um, I was going to say, did they not do the exact same thing with Anthony Martial? Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. They did the same true. thing two years ago. And I, I'm, I'm, those are two different players, obviously. Yeah. But I, I see a similarity in Sevilla where they've been dysfunctional now for a few years. And they've had enough talent to maybe coast by and be, you know, that Europa League powerhouse that we've we've come to expect and love. Um, but now it's starting to play out the consequences of their own actions in La Liga. Um, this Sevilla team is not one that you write home about on paper, and it, and it hasn't been for a couple of years. They lost in the last five matches, four of their matches, and they drew yeah. it last time. And now they play against Osasuna, and, and that's not and that's not in count, including their Copa del Rey loss. Of course, as well. of course, of course. It's yeah, it's been a very interesting season for Sevilla. A couple of years ago, they were top four, they were top five in La Liga. They had really good players, and lately they just not have been the team we've seen in the last couple of years in Europa when they won three in a row, I think, uh, the Europa League. So Mm -hmm. it is insane to think that Sevilla now, in in this point in the season, they could be relegated, will be obviously a very surprising uh, uh, feat. But, you know, I think we do have to talk about a little bit about Girona, what they've done Mm -hmm. so far. Obviously, they're owned by the City Group. And last year, they had one of an NYCFC legend, Tati Castellanos, Mm -hmm. who also left. Scored four goals against Real Real Madrid. And that was probably the only time... I was happy, but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Girona, they've been winning every game. They drew uh, two of their matches in the last five. They play Real Sociedad next, which will probably be a very tough game since Sociedad is in sixth place, looking to uh, catch up to Athletic Club. Uh, but Real Madrid, you know, doing Real Madrid things. You know, they're winning their matches. Jude Bellingham played really good last time against uh, Getafe. Um, Mason Greenwood was... Not the best on the field, but I think he had some couple of moments where he could have scored the goals. Maybe something was distracting him. I don't know. But <laughs> Real Madrid does play Atletico Madrid next in the Derby. So that will be probably exciting to see if they can get uh, three uh, points up uh, Hirona. And it's going to be in a very exciting uh, match. Barcelona has been a surprise. Obviously, there's been a lot of talks of Xavi. Um, you know, obviously, he's leaving the club at the end of the season. The club is broken. The club does not have the, the best players to play. It's just, you know, who knows what's going to happen in Barcelona. They don't have the money to get top players. They don't have a great uh, team as of now. They have, Obviously, they have a lot of injuries. But Barcelona is a broken team, and we haven't seen that since they lost to, you know, the German team in, in Europa. Yeah, and, and they just, uh, going back to last weekend, now, this week they, they did beat Osasuna, who were down to 10 men, and that's a game you expect to win at home. They lost at home to Villarreal who are having an awful season defensively, five goals to three on the weekend. It's just not consistent enough yet for Barca to be able to, to, to claim top of, that, top of that league discussion at the moment. And yes, they have the financial issues that are going to plague them for a little while. If, if I've, I want to I make a comparison between Sevilla and Hirona for a moment. Okay. While Sevilla will be re-welcoming Yusuf and Nasiri, the Moroccan international striker who is very effective... Um, from the African combinations, that's going to be a boost to them in terms of scoring goals. They're such an old team. They, they, they've they kind of made a habit now of collecting the scraps from other top leagues and other top teams. Jesus Navas, Gudail, and, and Sergio Ramos in defense are all over the age of 32. In the case of Ramos and Navas, they're both over the age of 37. Even Rakitic is your focal point in midfield, is 36. Um, you, I look at the bench, they've got Acuna, they've got uh, Lamela. 
They've got Adnan Yanazai as players that they're expecting to be impactful. Mariano Diaz, the former Real Madrid striker, he's 30. And then also dangerous. They've got some they've got some yeah, valuable players like Gonzalo Montiel who would bring a bit more of a youth experience into your back line. He's on loan. Uh and meanwhile, I look at Hirona who have sort of done something similar and bringing in Eric Garcia to play center back. But he's 23. You bring Miguel Gutierrez to play left back. He's 21. You've got Siganov, the uh, Ukrainian winger. He's 25. You've got Yanhel Herrera, who's one of the better young midfielders coming out of South Af- uh, uh, South America, excuse me, the Venezuelan. He's one of your focal points in midfield. This team has pedigree, unlike Sevilla, who have kind of, you know, fell into the consequences of their habits of buying out some players who I don't want to say are washed, but are currently behind their best. Uh, that's where I draw the difference. So I think unlike in the Bundesliga where Bayern are behind Leverkusen and you think, well, maybe if Leverkusen have had this, you know, this heat all the way through the season that maybe they could keep it. They haven't lost. Hirona, now that they've been leapfrogged, I, I fear uh, that is probably the last they'll see of the top spot. And this is Real Madrid's season to win. Um, but like you said, Atletico are around the corner and could take points away from Real should Hirona make a title race. I think that one is one also we're going to have to keep our eye on. But we're going to move to probably the biggest league in the world. We're going to go to the Premier League. We had a lot of cup matches on the week, um, some big ones for some of the bigger teams. Uh, Liverpool took care of Fulham, and then they took care of Chelsea during the week in league play. Man City took care of Burnley. Uh, Nottingham Forest blew it to Arsenal as Matt Turner faced his former club and really um, is not not having a good time. It's not good. But I think the biggest match of the week was was maybe United's 4-3 thriller win over Wolves. My new has been, I think you, you called it from the beginning, you said, Griffin. So give me your take on Colby Mainu and what's going on with Manchester United and overall what we think is happening in the Premier League this year. Yeah, I'm just sad I couldn't get on here sooner and tell everyone about him because I've been sitting back there this whole time saying, Kobe Mainu is going to change this team for the better. This, I mean, you look at him. I, I mean, I really, I had a lot of faith and then I watched him go into Anfield and start and last 70 minutes with with the best of that's a tough tough ask of a young guy very much is and i think he did well all things considered and i think he is the breath of fresh air in the midfield that manchester united needs because i was watching this game we started our best lineup on paper we were playing amazingly probably should have been four nil at a certain point in the first half but i still felt like something was off and i was like what is going on with this team i think it's casemiro Mm. He is I don't know whether it's the injury, I'm sure that plays a factor. He is showing his age mm. out there. I watch him and he kind of reminds me of a uh, those intramural midfielders <laughs> where where and I know I could get a lot of hate for calling Casemiro an intramural midfielder, but what I mean by that is he will have a player dribbling at him. He's going to basically think oh, I think he's going right. He's going to step to his right. That player even does the slightest bit of fake he just drops mm. like he he doesn't he doesn't I guess have the same fight and I think part of that was because he picked up a yellow card really early but that's also what he you get that's like yeah that's the expectation yeah, it's he, comes with, he comes with that yeah mm. he comes with that and so I'm saying I think it was fine when he was coming with that when our team needs the invigoration and our team needs someone to I guess light fire yes but now we have the players that'll do that we have Rasis Hoyland I mean, he's been amazing in his last few games. I think it's four goals now in his last five or three goals. And he's finally getting a little service. Kobe Mainu in that midfield, dominating, dare I say, in his last two games especially. And then we got Varane and Martinez back, mm-hmm. and they're playing pretty well. I think the, the final issue for this team is whether or not we can maintain our shape in that midfield. And I do believe that is the... That is the goal that the club is trying to achieve. I think that will get fixed over a certain transfer window. But I don't know. I'm just happy for the kid, Kobe Mainu. I, 18 years old. Yeah. To score such like like you said, an early 2000s goal. Yeah. It, yeah. Gino. That was Gino. He set off camera. Early 2000s style goal. It was brilliant because I was really sitting there thinking, no way we lose this game. Well, I I look for. Several weeks ago, it was just the only breath of fresh air into this team was Alejandro Garnacho. And now I would put Mainu into that same category, arguably a step ahead in terms of the way that they've been able to contribute just over the last two weeks, certainly. 
Um, and I think you make a great point about the shape in midfield being taken advantage of. You think of Casemiro's profile, like just can't last physically with the players around him. That's you get the opposite of that from a guy like Sofian Amrabat, who's like flies into everything and, and is known for covering ground. And then you've got like you know you call him a passion merchant and Scott McTominay. The the thing for me is that this team is so far from a finished product. Like I I'm not ready to say like you have Martinez back and you have Varane back in, in central defense. Is that the group you're going to commit to long term? Because I think Varane has passed his best. Uh, and and that's an obvious that that's been known for for several years, but he's still very very quality in defense. I think if I'm looking at this team on paper, there's so much quality there. There always is. It's Manchester United, but then I look at the team in function, and I think that they're still two years, two three years maybe away from competing at the top level of this league consistently, and that's fine because. You know, several years ago, maybe just two years ago, I wouldn't have said that. I would have said that this team is, you know, one or two pieces away from competing now, but I don't see it being sustainable long term. I at least see some legs in Manchester United where now a few years down the line, they can be competitive at the likes of Liverpool and maybe Man City and maybe Arsenal. And I think that that's the the emerging top four that is coming out. You know, I think maybe you can't count out the likes of Newcastle as well, but I think United now have something of a foundation that I would not have said several years ago. Are you in agreement with that, Gina? Definitely in agreement with that. I believe that as much as we love Fergie time, I don't like these games because (laughs) they were winning 2-1. Okay, you give away the goal to Wolves. Okay, but you win the penalty. And then, no, you get the other goal, and it's 3-1. Perfect. You know, there's a couple of minutes left. Win the game. And then comes the typical last couple of years of Man U where they give away the goals, and the next thing you know, there's a game in hand. 3-3, and you don't want that. I just think Man U right now, with the starting 11 they have, yes, I agree with you, Griffin. I think it was the best, their best starting 11 so far in the season. I think Holyon's getting his, you know, getting in the groove of scoring goals. He had, he, I think he scored two goals that were offside. Bruno, again, for me, like I always said, it's always Wildcard. Some days he's at his best, some days he isn't. There was yeah. one specific play at the end of 90th minute where he could have crossed the ball perfectly to Garnacho. My guy sends it all the way to the sands. I, I just you can't do that in those type of moments in the game when you're trying to win the game when it was three three. But you know Ra- Rashford obviously with the controversy that he's he's had this ca- couple of days you know silences silences haters you know with the goal. Good for him. Good for him. The defenders I've missed Licha and Varane so much. You know bringing in Maguire at the end was giving me a heart attack because you know it was three three. But you know Kobe Mino. I mean him coming in and doing that amazing goal it was just a, like a young 18 year old Cristiano Ronaldo going into the to the pitch and scoring like that it was definitely I've never seen Aronson Hogg scream like that when Kobe <laughs> Mino scored he was honestly like um like he was so surprised with that goal there's still a long way to go for this for this team I don't know you know obviously with this new transition with the CEO coming into next season you know they're only in the FA Cup they're far from being top four in the Premier League so the only chance to have a you know, a climbing season is to get in the final, get back to the FA Cup final and probably mm. possibly win it. I think they have the chance to, uh, but yeah, I think with Casemiro and how he's playing, he's a very aggressive player. So I think, you know, they do got to do some changes, but you know, we'll see what happens with Man U. They, they have a chance. To, there's some fight in their cell. There's some fight in their cell. I, I think as a fan looking in from the outside, what gets me excited, and like you said, I feel like a few years ago I would always say, oh, we just need this star or mm-hmm. we just need this guy, and we'll be there, right? But like you said, I don't think – I think we need a few pieces mm-hmm. and we need to move a little bit. But this is the first time and I would say the past two to three years where I feel like you, Manchester United actually has some sort of a plan in place. Mm-hmm. Like you said, we have changes from the top. We're, mm-hmm. I mean, new owner. We'll see how that works out. But <laughs> ideally, hopefully, he's controlling more operations. We get – City's former chief footballing officer. To me, it seems like we are really moving in the right direction where hopefully in the next couple of years we will be developing a style of play that we can actually execute day in and day out. And with regards to this season, like you said, I mean, goal be get to the final of the FA Cup. I think our goal should be to win the FA Cup personally because I think we are we are the team right now that you always see kind of end up going on those runs and winning the FA Cup. You saw it with Arsenal when they finished eighth in the league. You saw it with Manchester United, I believe. Ugh. 
2017 yes. against Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, I'm thinking of the one against uh, Crystal Palace. I'm thinking of oh, uh, 2016. Yeah, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of Jesse Lingard mm-hmm. and just these Manchester United teams that aren't like throughout the season not that great, mm-hmm. and you're kind of wondering where they are. But they, I mean, provided with a boost from young players like mm-hmm. we saw in 2016, find a way to win these tournaments. Yeah, I just don't know if. You know, Anthony should be playing. I mean, Anthony, when he was playing against Wolves, every time he was on a one-on-one situation, he was not winning it. And you don't want he, that. As a he, uh, well, look that that is that is very very true about Anthony, and that he gets himself into those situations where he wants to take players on one-on-one and kind of trips over his own feet it's sometimes. Just, I think he he looks unsure about the ways he wants to attack at players. Um, but United aside, you think Liverpool have got it? Have have got the title race? You yeah. th- like I mean, it's not far from decided, of course. But you think that they're in a good enough shape? I still think City. You can't count them out. You never can. They're gonna find Liverpool tripping up points here or there. Like Liverpool will will find a way to drop points to Brentford. Meanwhile, City will go on a eleven game run where they get three points after. Uh, just one one final couple thoughts on English football. Gio Reyna, Nottingham Forest on loan. I think that's a good move. Um, for him because like I, I don't love that it's Nottingham Forest, but he had to get out of Dortmund. I think it's it's good to have gotten out of Dortmund. I think Forest are going to be in a relegation battle, and it's going to be tricky for him to play the way he wants to play, but he will at least play. So I'm cagey about it, but I'm happy that there has been a move. We've said it before, Matt Turner is really struggling. He's got to figure it out for the U- for if he wants to be effective for the U.S. national team. Everton fell back into the relegation zone after Luton with a big 4-0 win over Brighton. I don't know if anybody saw that coming. Um, got to wrap things up on England because we're going to spend the last couple minutes of the show moving things stateside. Uh, we're going to talk American club football real quick only because I'm headed to Red Bull Arena in 45 minutes' time for a press conference today. Going to hopefully get to talk to Emil Forsberg and the new head coach, Sandro Schwartz. Um, but in the world of football, uh, everyone had their eyes on Inter-Miami, Al Nasser, thinking it was going to be Messi versus Ronaldo, and instead it was Talisca. I mean, it was Talisca versus Suarez. Suarez. So yeah. uh, Inter-Miami lost 6-0. And a lot of people are now using that as a chance to dunk on both Major League Soccer and American soccer as a whole, and I think it's just Inter Miami aren't in aren't far from their own season, and Al Nasser are in the middle of their season, and I think that has a lot to do with it. But I'm also, as someone who hopes that Inter Miami aren't successful this year, I'm laughing. Um, <laughs> but let's just broadly, we're two three weeks away from the start of Major League Soccer. What's one thing you guys are all excited about? I know Gino, you really wanted to get into some of the rule changes that are happening with VAR, yeah. uh, specifically in Major League Soccer. Uh, well, to go on from the point of MLS, you know, I'm very excited for New York City FC to see what they're going to do this season. They've mm-hmm. done a lot of changes within the squad. They brought a lot of players in. Obviously, everybody's in their preseason um, mode. Um, hopefully, you know, NYCFC can actually get back to the playoffs this year, you know, not having the ideal season last year. But uh, obviously, you know, there's always a lot of games to be played there, and hopefully they can make it back. But, yes, the VAR decision, FIFA also announced that, you know, in the Premier League next season, and especially MLS this season, they're going to be implementing where referees on the pitch can actually tell the audience and the crowd and, and you know, obviously TV, the decision-making on the field. And I think we saw a little bit of that against Alna Sarvers in Miami, where the referee actually said, you know, there's no offsides, goal, almost our goal so i'm excited to see that we've been asked well we haven't been asking about for that for a long time but we've been wanting to see some communication between the referees and the crowd right because obviously last year in the Premier league we've seen a lot of decisions that have been really terrible and there was no communication between the fans obviously they released like you know audio of the vir team at work but you know to see that happen during live uh live time will be obviously pretty pretty wild it's definitely an americanized kind of system but you know we're kind of used to it so yeah. i can't wait to see that worked at the women's world cup yep it, it does so i'm not as familiar with how they announce it is this basically just announcing the thought process or is it announcing announcing the ultimate decision yeah the final decision see i don't know how much that really impacts <laughs> it because i would say for astute football fans you can look at the you Jumbotron, tell, yeah. and you can look at Jumbotron, and they'll tell you what decision is. I want to know why when you tell me, and I want to know what implemented. I I mean, granted, it would be kind of ridiculous to play the full conversation of the room, but we need to find a solution to where there's not a horrible call, and then 
the teams can't hear it for two days, and then they yeah. discover it was just craziness in the room. There's also been requests of referee actually having press conferences and after post match interviews. <sighs> that I, I'm not sure if on I can tell you that decision, I, but. It is a chance. I can tell you what the current system for interviewing refs after matches is. At each game, one one press member, one reporter, uh, so independently, um, not so not associated with either team, a reporter, supposed to be uh, unbiased, is a um, is selected as the pool reporter, and you get three questions that you hand to a communications officer, who then hands it to the referee's representative, and then they will then email you after the game because you don't have any physical contact with the refs, and this is this is by the refs union meant to protect them, and I think. For the most part, that's a good idea. I think there should be more transparency in how many questions you can ask and what type of answers you get, um, and maybe a phone call and, and instead of like a Zoom press conference. But uh, as of now, the system is pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty limited to what you can talk about and what you can get in return from. Like there was one time I asked a question of a reporter. I was like, "Why um, was was uh why was there no VAR review for this player who might have been offside?" And they were like, "The answer was just he wasn't." So I'm like, sometimes they're a little dismissive, but like, I get it. It's a job you want to be protected. Um, I'm glad you guys could humor me and, and let me talk a little bit about some stuff that's going on stateside. LAFC, I think, if I'm going to put out one favorite for MLS this year, it's them. They're going to bring in Eduardo Tuesta back, uh, who to play central midfield, they're going to have one of the deepest rosters in MLS history, even if they're going to lose Carlos Vela. That is all the time we have this week for FUVFC. I want to thank Ben Oppenheimer for hooking us up with the production today. Gino Alva, as always, love having you on the show. And Griffin Stevenson with a hell of a debut, one that would rival Anthony Martial's for Manchester United. I've been James Burley. See you guys next week. FUVFC is a production of WFUV Sports.